on this episode of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about revamping the insurance value chain with data science and AI with Nikki Curry from Prudential Financial. The InsureTech Geek Podcast powered by JB Knowledge is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. And we are back with another episode, another week of the InsureTech Geek Podcast with me, my illustrious co-host, the most interesting man in insurance, Rob Galbraith. Rob, how you doing? Hey, James Stewart. Great to see you. Just got back this morning from uh, a weekend in Houston watching the Final Four with my son. It was an early graduation present, and we had a great time. Man, that's great. I, uh, I wish I could have gone. I actually had an opportunity, had some tickets, and could not take advantage of them. I had too much business, uh, business and personal travel going on and couldn't make it to Houston, but it looked like it was a... A, uh, a great tournament and a great outcome and uh, congratulations to uh, I believe uh, UConn Huskies uh, taking it all home beating uh, San Diego State uh, definitely uh, blew your bracket didn't it oh big time yeah I had uh, kind of the Texas teams I think I had DT and Baylor Houston I forgot which but uh, my son beat me by one game so I'm bitter to the end at him <laughs> My uh, my Texas A&M Aggies didn't make it. And my Texas Southern University Tigers, where I'm a regent, uh, they uh, didn't make it, but they did get to host. There being a, a Houston host city, and they had a host venue, so that was kind of cool too. And we had some great events going on in Houston during the tournament. And and currently located in a place where a lot of American basketball players go when things don't exactly work out in the NBA. Uh, they they tend to go to Greece to go play professional basketball. Uh, she's with us from, from from Athens, of course. She lives in the United States, but uh, works in the United States, but she's uh, visiting uh, Athens right now. Uh, not Athens, Georgia, not Athens, Texas, Athens, Greece. Uh, Nikki Corey. Nikki, how's it going today? Uh, great, James and Rob. Great to be part of your company today. Yes, we're so excited to have you uh, join us on the podcast and hang out with us and talk about technology. Uh, Nikki's the Chief Digital Officer for International Business at Prudential Financial, and we're going to uh, you know, go into that into just a little bit. Uh, as all of our listeners know, we don't just talk about tech, we talk about the people behind technology. So Nikki, we're going to talk about you and we're going to make it uncomfortable because we're going to talk about you for a second before we actually get in and talk about, uh, and talk about tech, because I think it's always important to talk about the people that make up the industry and understand what kind of got you, uh, to this point. Very few people go, to school for insurance, they uh, they wind up in insurance through a, a, a wide variety of different jobs, and you know you you ended up um, doing a a little stint in uh, in consulting before heading to financial services, and then ended up in in uh, in insurance uh, by way of uh, financial services. Why don't you just to start out? Let's go back before that, though. Let's go way back in the time and talk about um, where were you born and raised. Well, I was born and raised in Athens, Greece, so I am indeed uh, visiting my mother. Nice. I'm in a time capsule. I'm in uh, back in my childhood home with police, uh, the police band posters on my bedroom. Thankfully, I don't have that as my background. But every time <laughs> I visit Greece, I'm I'm back in the 80s uh, and 90s. So yeah, the journey started in in Athens. Um, I went to grad school in California. Um, and then I ended up staying in the U.S. Now I live um, permanently in New York City, in Manhattan, with my husband and three teenage daughters. Oh, wow. In the city. What, y- y- y'all in Manhattan? 
yeah, I'm on the Upper West Side. Nice. That's nice. And you, you actually went to school for electrical and computer engineering at, uh, at, at school and at university in Athens, National Technical mm -hmm. University in Athens. And mm -hmm. then you went to this, uh, this, this small college over in the West coast called Stanford for your yeah. master of science in engineering. Great school. What took you, I'm, I'm always interested in, in when people come to the United States, like what was the spark that said, Hey, I want to go to the United States. I want to go to grad school at Stanford. Um, interesting. Um, I mean, the U.S. has a big group. Um, Greece is a very small country. Uh, it was back then. It's even it's shrinking um, um, even now. And um, it, therefore, it's a very extroverted country in, in the sense, um, you know, people want to study abroad. They want to speak many languages. And so the U.S. was always in my plan, um, being very advanced in technology, which was always my interest. Um, and California... Um, you know, I don't need to uh, explain it to you why California is an attractive or uh, to anyone, really. I am a big fan of California as a geographical location. And definitely, even in the 90s, it was clear to me um, that this was going to be a place of um, immense technological innovation and um, and, and financial um, stability and, and a big economy in its own right. Um, so for all these reasons, I picked California and uh, traveled half around the world. Uh, and to my surprise, landing in California, the climate, the landscape, very Mediterranean in many ways. So I felt almost cheated flying half around the world to end up where I took off from. <laughs> I bet, man. That's, that's a, a fascinating, uh, fascinating dynamic. I was always interested in, in Stanford and UC Berkeley growing up because I was a I was born in 1979. I grew mm -hmm. up writing code pre-internet. So I wrote a lot about, a, you know, yeah. um, Pascal and Fortran and C, and then it was a Linux and sysadmin and, you know, got, got into, you know, once the internet came out and networking was the, a thing, I would always see these patents and copyright marks when, whenever my operating systems would boot up. And so I, that kind of became my knowledge and fascination of, of West coast technical universities. You said something really interesting that, uh, you know, this, you know, this is in, in decline. Um, something that I've been, just, you know, really interested in lately, Elon Musk has been talking about it a lot. It's population yeah. collapse. Yes. And, um, and he's, you know, because the, the fear mongers in the world talk about, well, we're gonna be overpopulated and they're just flat out wrong. Um, you know, Western Europe, uh, a lot of Eastern Europe, Russia, China, they're all in population decline at this point. The United States is teetering on it right now. Um, Greece, fascinatingly, the United Nations projections for Greece, because Greece peaked population in 2005 at 11.1 .1 million people, and it's currently mm -hmm. at 10.3, and it, it's projected to be 6.3 million people by the, uh, by the year 2100, by the United Nations. Yeah, it's, and, it's astounding, and I do agree. Um, it's, it's a real issue. Uh, I mean, for Greece, definitely, but uh, when you look at some of our you know, big economies and also countries where Prudential has interests and customers, mainly Japan and China, this, because these are big economies, um, any population imbalance will create a much bigger problem for the global economy. So definitely Japan has been plagued by this for years. China is also now, uh, you know, declining. Oh, and, yeah. And, and the problem is, you know, who's going to do the jobs, right? The resources, how are we going to feed the planet? I mean, we were talking about the same thing with overpopulation, but it's the same thing. If you don't have young people, 
um, right, for the economy to keep moving and, you know, the population is aging and dying, um, there will be tremendous uh, demographical issues and financial and economical issues arising. I completely agree. This is a big problem. Yeah, it's a big issue. Uh, you know, in, in Japan, I was watching some some information recently that they're, 15% of the homes are, are vacant now because they're in such steep population decline that there's just some people that people die and there's no one there to buy it. No one needs yeah. to live there. Yeah. So there's there's not a housing crisis at all. I, I, in fact, I think a, a lot of the, the discussion about housing crises in different areas, some of it's, you got to really look at the real data on how much housing is there. You know, in the United States, we have a lot of net influx immigration, which is really keeping our numbers up. But um, it's a, it's an interesting time. And of course, it makes you wonder. Um, there's some huge warning bells in the last week that went off about commercial real estate and the viability of commercial real estate. Um, and, you know, even downtown parking, I was reading a series of articles yeah. on, on, you know, severely underutilized downtown parking and then yes, you look at right. severely underutilized commercial office space. And then you look at where the investments of a lot of the insurance companies are. There's a lot of commercial real estate being held as investments in REITs and other, other investment instruments by commercial insurers. And you start to wonder, you know, how, how, how viable those investments are at this point, because there's a, there's going to be a pretty big downturn. Um, so it's a, it's a very interesting time. There's not what I wanted to talk about in the podcast, but I think it's something that, that, uh, we, you know, we've got to keep a close eye on you, you ended up, um, after your brief stint after college and consulting, mm -hmm. um, you ended up in financial services at city, which is not a small, yeah. uh, financial institution. What was the initial appeal to being in financial services and what was your career like there at city? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, in consulting, um, I, specialized, if you will, in financial services and in particular wealth management, both on the strategy side, the business strategy, as well as operations and IT. So a lot of my clients at the time were um, big private banks and big brokerage houses like Mary Lynch, um, JP Morgan, uh, Chase and Citi. And I was actually recruited. Uh, by City, um, being their consultant, uh, was recruited from a project to become an employee. So I joined City in 2003 and I stayed for 15 years. And I like to say that I've worked in every possible retail business of City. I mm. started in the City Private Bank. Uh, it's a global organization. Then I moved to Smith Barney, uh, the brokerage house prior to the acquisition by Morgan Stanley. Then I worked in the consumer bank of City in the branches. And I ended my career at City in credit cards. And credit cards is a digital business. It's a highly high volume business. Um, it's in the forefront in many ways of digital um, banking and, and marketing uh, amidst all of the financial services offered by banks uh, in the US. So that gave me um, the bug a major bug in digital. I mean, I was always involved with technology, but really um, uh, that got me very excited. And when I moved to insurance, which admittedly is a little bit be behind um, the banking industry as a whole in terms of digital transformation, um, it gave me such a, the city experience gave me such a great springboard to bring innovation and transformation in the insurance industry. Yeah, it really prepared you well for the focus yes. that you have now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The um, wealth management, and that was your most, uh, well, that was one of your stints. It's interesting because wealth management has really transformed a lot as well. Um, mm -hmm. Been heavily disrupted by technology and you spent a good bit of time 
heading strategy for for wealth management, and then you got into the private bank. Um, so you spent a decade dealing with high net worth, ultra high net worth individuals and their tastes and preferences. And it, that entire space has really, really shifted a lot, right? Correct. Oh, I'm happy you go, you're going there because I, I, I keep telling my insurance colleagues that have decades on me on insurance experience, but I, I bring a very, um, I think experience and perspective from my stint my decade plus long stint in wealth management in, in, in the investments world. So you, we started talking about California, right, in the 90s. Um, let me tell you, in the mid 90s, going down 101, uh, one of the main freeways in California between San Francisco and San Jose, holding a very, very big cell phone. And um, <laughs> as you can imagine, um, Driving and calling with a very big cell phone, all things don't, none of your audience should be doing that, but I'm calling an IBM, a broker, sorry, a broker to basically buy and sell IBM stock. I mean, imagine, right? And I had to stay on the phone and it, it was a friend, it became a friend, but every time you wanted to transact, you actually had to call someone. I mean, fast forward, I mean, you don't have to fast forward many years, but look how this has been completely appended, right? These these are commodities. You can transact. You know the 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 price of transacting has gone down uh, substantially. It's it's a commodity. Uh, but then look at the wealth space, as you said. Look at the we had financial advisors that they would you know be uh, paid for their expertise in picking stock, right? This is uh, late '90s, early 2000s. Those days are over as well, right? So you have more. Uh, alignment in compensation, the advisors get an asset-based fee, so they're completely aligned to the best interest of the client. If you're if they advise you well and your assets go up, they do better. They do well as well. If you know, if uh, in a downturn things don't go well for the customers, you know the advisors feel it as well. So complete alignment of incentives with the customer, um, basically managing portfolios and not uh, stock picking, um, and also going digital, right? You see all these robo-advisories, uh, you see tools for the financial advisors have advanced, um, you see a myriad of fintech companies and channels where the customers can compare and contrast and, and, and actually buy. So I do think there's, and this happened over the last, I don't know, within 15 years, that entire wealth management space and the brokerage space has completely uh, transformed. And I do think the same thing um, will happen to insurance as well. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it's almost inevitable. Um, it, it has to in certain areas, right? Like the, I think wealth management and brokerage are, are, are very similar in that there's, there's a, there's space for really high value add individuals mm -hmm. to be serious consultants, but so many were used to being really transaction processors and getting paid right. recurring revenue for being transaction processors. It's like, well, we, we really don't need you in that space anymore. We really need you in the advisory space to, right. to form relationships and be an advisor. That's what I lean on my broker for. I can get pricing on my own all day long, but that, is, that doesn't help me with the things I need my broker for. Correct. And, and so I think- Completely agree. And I think you'll see in life insurance, especially in our international markets where I have a lot of um, experience in, our agents are called life planners. 
So this, this advice, this planning, this needs-based assessment, where you're trying to match the right product to the right customer, depending on where you catch them in their um, journey, in their life journey. And I do think going to data and AI, these tools will only make our agents so much more productive, so much more targeted. We'll give them so many more data points in the customer's life to be actually able to um, give the, the right product at the right time over the span of somebody's lifetime. Also, the other thing I like to say is a significant percentage of our customer portfolio walks around with a wearable device, right? Whether it's an Apple Watch or what have you. So imagine um, what kind of leverage we would have and what kind of value we can contribute to the customers in terms of pricing the product, in terms of offering them a wellness service, and we can talk about that as well. If you could um, get your hand in some of these parameters and really individualize the pricing, the product, the channel, and the ongoing engagement with that customer. Yeah, absolutely. Rob, what are your thoughts here? So Nikki, it's great to hear your uh, wealth of experience. <laughs> I'll use that as a pun uh, in terms of financial services and uh, how it kind of, you know, you're bringing that to the insurance industry. So really curious, what are some of the key initiatives that you're currently leading in your role at Prudential? Yes, I, I will give you three examples, one from an agent perspective, one from a customer and one from uh, digital partners. Uh, but just just overall, let me say that we're currently working on modern, mobile-first, scalable, and personalized customer agent and partner experiences um, from buying a product from us all the way to service and continuous engagement on our wellness platforms. And this is across our international markets. And we're focusing on revenue growth, and that's important because many times digitization is... Um, is a you know the people attribute uh, cost saves to digitization, but definitely we're looking on the revenue side of the equation here. So on the agent side, um, we're working on an end-to-end -end agent desktop where the agent can use online and offline to provide the prospective customer a needs-based assessment, offer the right product at the right. Um, price point and deliver the policy through rapid underwriting, straight through processing in a very accelerated way. And this desktop, again, I want to say, not only accelerates the process, but it enables it to be carried out remotely. And it's enriched with data and data science insights to personalize the offering, personalize the price. So that um, is one set of activities. And we're live in, in many markets. And um, we're planning on leveraging the same global chassis uh, for more. Now, the commensurate journey is what the customer sees, whether it's buying from an agent, whether it's completely buying online or in hybrid fashion, agent and online. So we enable buying journeys that for certain products take less time to get the policy certificate than it will take me to answer your question. So that's how fast it can be. We enable journeys that can turn from online to offline and vice versa. And we enable wellness journeys that move us from ex post evaluation of a claim, let's say, to ex ante wellness journeys that move us um, basically managing um, the physical and mental health of, of an individual. And uh, that allows us basically to give our customers um, the insights, the tools, the solutions, the services, the content to lead um, longer and um, 
uh, healthier lives. The third one is around partners, and um, it's how we embed our solutions in the purchase journeys of large digital partners that sell adjacent offerings. Now think of a person that is buying biking gear in a big e-commerce site and can, with the click of a button, insure their expensive new bike and themselves from an accident. So that's what we call embedded partner journeys. So agent, customers, and partners with a focus on mobile first and revenue growth. That's fair. So is the real goal, I mean, you want to make it easier for people to buy insurance, right? Like that's okay. everything you're talking about is quote bind pay, you know, quote pay bind, right? Mm -hmm. Like what, what about, what, what about big initiatives after the purchase? Like what, what, what are you trying to do to make renewal easier and to make claims easier? I mean, where, where, where does that go? Cause certainly we've seen a lot of folks working on the quote pay bind um, cycle to, because obviously they're trying to remove friction in purchasing insurance. So we have actually a few implementations with conversational AI. And um, I think um, there is a lot of room even for conversational AI now with ChatGPT and digital people. I think you're going to see even that exploding in the next few months if, um, even. Uh, so definitely on the claim initiation, um, the as you said, the renewal, um, we want to take um, humans out of this as much as possible, not because, again, not so much for cost savings, although that definitely comes into play, but for better customer service for NPS, right? That's Caveted Net Promoter Score. Who wants to be talking about some trivial tasks that should be um, able to do with a, um, the touch of a button, who wants to actually stay in line and talk to someone, right? Uh, so providing service, I think service is the low hanging fruit. And in fact, uh, when I talk in Chicago next, uh, next week in a roadmap to AI, I think conversational AI is, is a beautiful thing. It's a real science. Um, even before ChatGPT, I was talking a lot about it. Uh, it's an easy implementation. Um, and so definitely we, we have a lot of them actually, uh, James, uh, live and we're seeing some astounding numbers like uh, and we have them not only for the customers some of these conversational ai chatbots if you will are available and part of the agent desktop and are available to the agent and so that's equally important and we're seeing adoption from an agent population to 99 percent. that's almost like 100 percent. so tremendous um, adoption uh, and, and tremendous satisfaction in terms of the customer NPS. So definitely we're doing a lot of that. Underwriting and managing risk, to your point, is, is another uh, frontier. And there is work we're doing there. I would think, I would say that PNC insurance, it's um, a lot more advanced in that area. I mean, you, we hear about how alternate data is used into underwriting for PNC. Um, I think we're going to see in life insurance that also uh, becoming a, a big thing. As I said before, we have a wellness app. Um, we are, we will be aware and with the consent of the customer always, we will, we will have to the minute the physical activities, the physical status of, of a person. So that will enable us to not just underwrite based on similar risk pools, but underwrite individuals. I mean, how powerful is that? So that I think is the another frontier 
for insurance companies is how do you use data? How do you use the power of AI to get into the um, insurance underwriting of an individual? I read somewhere that ChatGPT, their knowledge is based on 175 billion data parameters. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, can you imagine, if, even if I had a subset of the wellness data of a customer or their interactions with us or their stated preferences with us, can you imagine how much better service, better product targeting we can offer them? Yeah, pretty, pretty substantial. When you when you're when you're looking at the ability to process that many data points, that's what's so exciting in general about big data and applying machine learning to big data, and then what ChatGPT is doing, which is an you know yet another subset of AI that mm -hmm. um, is learning how to interact with us and it's learning how to learn. Um, it can factor in so many more data points than we could possibly, you know, you know, do uh, manually program. And you and you, you and I both have a leg. You and I both have a, an educational legacy in programming and computer science, and we know how challenging it is to uh, program every potential outcome. And the okay. thought of a machine that can learn on its own, so it doesn't have to be programmed for every potential outcome, introduces a lot of really interesting options for us when interacting Absolutely. with humans. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The original, I remember like the, the insurance conferences I went to like five years ago and the people were talking about chat bots and text, but it was literally Nikki, it was straight up like an anti text terminal, like pick option one, two, three, four, or yes, five, yes. you know, like yes. that. It, it, I'm like, I mean, do you, I, I, I was going up to them going, do you realize like in 1991, we were writing the exact same thing with GW basic and a text terminal interface. Like you haven't actually created a chatbot. You you went back in time to text-based interfaces where you have to pick menu items. But you know, the, the big leap was was definitively, I think that of course ignited the world's imagination is when you, you have chat GPT and you can ask it any question without any form structure right. um, at, at all. Um, you know, the, I think that the challenging thing I have currently with with chatbots for user interfaces is they can be convincingly wrong. Yes. And that's the, that's the challenge is like, they'll provide the wrong information and they'll be very convincing about how they provide it. And so that's the, that's the, uh, the hang up I've got right now is I, I want to, I want to, I want to see accuracy, um, definitely driven up, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, I, lo and, I love the thought process. And you know, it will improve, right? I mean, for all of us that have seen all these cycles of technology, we know that you know early adopters will will you know will have to help refine the solutions and put the boundaries of the solutions improve the solutions put some regulatory discipline around it absolutely but i do think the change is here and um when i was at reuters in chicago again last june we were still talking about conversational ai but it was much more subdued than i think it will be next week i think next week there will be fire and what this is in less than a year uh, things will change very very fast from here um talking about chat gpt i was in some labs we're routinely with my team we go down silicon alley and valley so we're up and down new york um, talking to labs and uh, seeing what even the big companies are doing and there are now digital people in the equation so james to your point not only it can be very convincing but you can put um, a digital person um, along with ChatGPT, and it can be delivered by a person that reads your facial um, 
um, you know, reactions to what it says, and it can adjust its facial um, its facial uh, characteristics, and 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 show empathy. Um, or adjust what it's saying and the way it's delivering it to you. And again, this is not science fiction. This is not a brave new world. Uh, there are companies, um, big companies that are actually leveraging this technology. Now, insurance traditionally, historically has been much more conservative. It's, it's the line of business we're in. Uh, so for some of these things, we'll watch and wait and, um, before we experiment. Uh, but um, conversational AI, I don't I think it's, as you said, past the point of experimentation. I think the companies that are not investing in it have a lot of catch up to do already. Yes, they do, including Google. <laughs> they got some catch up. Now you're largely, um, uh, and I'll, turn, I'll hand it over to Robin just a second, but you're largely dealing with life insurance, correct? Oh, it's life. Yes. Yeah. And do y'all have a supplemental accident health policy health. too? Sorry, an accident and health. I was going to say, I saw, I've seen, yeah, cause I went through your quoter on your website and, and before I did the, um, before I, before I, we started this, this interview, I went to the Prudential website and went to the, the life insurance quoter just to experience the quoting experience <laughs> and check it out. And I, you know, I saw, of course, you can apply for life insurance, health insurance. Is that, but is it's primary health or supplemental health? No, it's a uh, supplemental. Supplemental. Yes. I thought, yeah. So these, these, you know, really interesting spaces. I had, I had no interaction with life health, dental, supplemental health, uh, until about a year ago, I landed my first client in that space and we started building software for it. And I'll, I'll be honest, underwriting some of these policies is way easier in, in life than it is in PNC. I mean, way easier. Really? Yeah. And, and, and in other regards, it's not. So it just depends on like what's, what section of it that you're in, but there's so many life policies that are just blazingly simple to underwrite. Yes. Um, com compared to the complexities that we have, like with commercial property, which can get really complicated. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And some of our A&H, what we call accident and health insurance products, as I said, it takes less time to receive your policy than it took me to answer your question. It's a, it's a matter of minutes. Uh, some some um, products are designed to be sold direct to consumer. Um, and you always have the... Um, the option to move to hybrid and call a person through your, you know, from your mobile app. Uh, but some of these products are designed like hospital cash and other products we have are designed um, to be sold via either digital partners or completely from our websites, completely online. And they're very simple. And the under underwriting is almost instantaneous. It's in fact, it is some of them do not even require underwriting. Mm. Mm. Fascinating. Rob. So, uh, Nikki, I, I, you know, we, you've referenced your, your talk next week in uh, Chicago a couple of times. It's titled Get AI Right Before Everyone Else. So this is the Reuters event, the Insurance AI and Innovative uh, Technology uh, at the Merritt Marquis, Chicago. Um, so I'm really curious, you know, a lot of great conversation just about the leaps and bounds that we've made in, in AI. You mentioned the difference between last year's event, this year's event. When you talk about getting AI right before everyone else, you know, when I think about just how rapidly the space is really evolving, um, how can you do that? I do think, you know, you mentioned we are a conservative industry in insurance, right? And I think there's a tendency to want to sit back and see how everything plays out. That doesn't sound like that's kind of your, your motto here. So when you talk about getting AI right before everyone else, what, what does that entail? Yeah, and I cannot give you the punchline, otherwise people will not come to the event. <laughs> sure, yeah. So, like by the book, right, or come to the event. Uh, but I do want to say that um, a big uh, a big component of 
getting AI first has to do with executive sponsorship. It has to do with change management. It has to do with the talent and the people. And then when you look at distinct points of the value chain, um, I think there are some safe bets to put first and learn from that and continue. And I already hinted to service. Um, as I said, service is almost, uh, if you're not on it, I mean, you're almost already late. I think the second area is probably on the product recommendation, product channel, agent recommendation of how you serve up your offering uh, using AI, using the wealth of data that insurers have, historic and statistical data to predict what's the right combination. And it's um, more than just acquisition, right? And making money for the company. It's also to have um, increasing the, the customer lifetime value, but really giving them something they need and something they will use. The third area I would say is providing a much more holistic and better portfolio solution uh, that matches insurance needs and wellness needs of our customers over time. So not just in point of time, and I'll see you in 30 years, getting this 30 year contract with a life insurer and good luck, but it's uh, it's a holistic um, engagement across insurance and protection needs. And finally, we talked about managing risk and, um, and price of the insurance and how we can um, basically individualize the risk uh, of each customer and price to our mutual advantage. So I would say, um, it's the entire value chain. I'll talk and you know double click on each one of these areas, service acquisitions, product recommendations, uh, product development, as well as risk, and talk about some of the tools, processes, and enablers like people and sponsorship that are needed to, um, to really um, advance faster than the competition. Awesome. Uh, let's talk about the future. Let's look forward because we've, we've, we've spent, look, Nikki, you, you and I have been in industry. If you look back at the, uh, at, at, at our, at our last 20 plus years, right. Um, you and I both started in consulting about the same sign, then both got into financial services around the same time. We spent about two decades trying to solve problems around financial services. And mm -hmm. I always like thinking about the future. And I, there's some really cool things about 2023 that I was not anticipating 20 years ago. I didn't understand how good specific forms of AI would get. Like yeah. I yeah. didn't understand how good machine learning would be. Yeah. Um, I expected processors to be this fast because of Moore's law. I really was a believer in Moore's law and yeah. rest in peace. He just, he just passed away. Um, yep. That's right. But, but uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I, I didn't understand how fast mobile connectivity would be. And that's really impacting how people buy things, including insurance. That's right. You know, so there's some things about where we're at that I expected and didn't expect. Uh, I had hoped for, um, I'd hoped for some things that aren't here, um, you know, but uh, that's okay. Probably watch too many episodes of the Jetsons and Star Trek. But let's look, let's look like to the next 20 years. Um, what, give, give me, give me a prediction or something you kind of just have a gut feel on that's going to be a big thing in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years as we, as we move forward in, in insurance, like, what do you, what do you, you, you've got to spend as much time as I do probably just thinking about what, what it's going to look like. Yeah, but no, that's a very interesting question. Now you're asking somebody that's in the, like you guys, we're in an industry where in the last 300 years, there really hasn't been that much innovation, right? <laughs> uh, if you think about it, really, 
Um, we used to underwrite based on age um, since the 1600s. Then somebody figured, oh, women, you know, live longer. And that was in the 40s. And then oh, they're like, OK, let's add gender. And then with the advent of HIV and AIDS in the 80s, that's when basically blood tests were standardized. So yeah. you see that this has been a long time coming. Uh, but that's why I'm saying the next five to 10 years will be much more exciting uh, than the last 300 years. So um, listen, I don't know where it's going to be in 50 years. I don't even know where humanity will be in 50 years. Ask Elon Musk about that. I'm sure he knows. But Half I'll tell the population. you that, that we're going to die. We're going to be on Mars. You and I will be on Mars. We'll be permanently frozen to stay young. And uh, But I would say definitely, I think there's no reason why protection needs of a customer cannot be looked at holistically. I don't think there's any reason that I need to go to separate people and think about separate products to ensure myself when I'm 27 for a car, a house, what have you. Um, versus when I have a child, versus when I, you know, buy a second home, versus when I have a, sec a third and fourth child, or versus when I'm looking at retirement. I think the financial needs, if I were to extrapolate, not just the protection needs, uh, we will have the tools and let's hope we have the appetite to look at them holistically and dynamically and price them accordingly. So maybe that's not where I think it will be. That's where I would like it to be because that's in the best interest of the customer. So definitely that. And then in terms of the distribution, a lot of people say insurance is bought, not sold. Then you have the other school of thought. Um, um, sorry, it's sold, not uh, bought. Uh, and then- <laughs> I was gonna say that's, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, um, and then you have the other school of thought that you know there's some people that say, oh no, this is gonna be completely appended the agent model. And I do think, in the next, again, five to 10 years, we will be somewhere in between. I think um, companies or insurance aggregators, both in the US and overseas, that have started uh, being direct to consumer only with no agents have added agents because uh, you know a lot of people before they hit the big red button and commit themselves to a 15 or 30 year contract, they want to talk to someone. Uh, and some people need the empathy, some people. so. Did, regardless of the generation, I do think people will rely a lot on digital to do the upfront work, and maybe they will still need to talk to an agent. But I do think the agent of the future will look much different than the agent uh, of today. I think they'll be better informed. I think they'll be able to create content, uh, distribute content, really be a life advisor. And I do think, and here I may differ with some of my colleagues, I do think that uh, gone are the days where people would have, and COVID taught us that, that you don't have to travel in a congested, uh, and because I work overseas, in a congested Jakarta or congested Sao Paulo to meet your customer with an iPad in a Starbucks to sell them something, right? Uh, I think um, there will be tools to be doing this remotely and have the, the agent in the mix. Awesome. Uh, Rob, you're... you're wrap up question. 
Yeah, Nikki, I, I'm just curious, you know, you, so you, you mentioned Jakarta, Sao Paulo. Do you see any differences uh, country by country? I think about different uh, cultures, right? Some maybe um, more quick to adopt, some slower to adopt. I know certainly the use of agents can vary by country. So what are your thoughts about some of the international differences that you've seen? Yeah, yeah. And they're twofold. So first, uh, they don't have the penetration of the U.S., so they don't have that maturity. So there's a big awareness um, focus on some of these markets. Um, I think in the U.S., what, half of the population, you know, has some kind of life insurance. I think these numbers go to two or three percent in some of the emerging markets. So definitely there needs to be an awareness. And also with the emerging middle class, I think um, there's a tremendous opportunity for insurers and also in countries like Africa. Uh, conversely, when you look at these markets, uh, because they've been behind uh, and they're less mature, it's like the telecommunications, right? You just um, completely leapfrog um, decades of evolution and you move, you know, you move to the next phase. So what you see people in both Indonesia and in Brazil and in, of course, in China, definitely, it's people are very, very comfortable with buying things and um, transacting uh, on mobile. So, and also through WhatsApp, uh, and conducting business literally from their from their phone, um, and I think that is the appetite there is much higher than the one I've seen when I was working on the on the U.S. Uh, on the U.S. side. So definitely, that's why in many ways, the digital work we're doing in emerging markets, in some ways. I want to say is much more exciting than uh, what we're doing on the U.S. side. It's because we have we have to because we don't have the infrastructure, um, the legacy infrastructure, um, and because we can because we don't have the legacy infrastructure, we can do things faster in an accelerated way. Awesome, great. Well, it's been a um, a good discussion, uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing you in Chicago. Now, this this show will air after the Chicago event, um, mm -hmm. but uh, but uh, I am uh, I, I I believe I'll have, to, I'll have to double check on the air date, but. Uh, I'm looking forward to being in Chicago and, and, and talking tech with you at the, uh, the Reuters event. Um, always good to, uh, to have a discussion around technology and its future and deal with some of the bigger social issue discussions that we have to talk about, like, Hey, population collapse. Okay, right. What happens if there's, what happens if there's less people and fewer policyholders? Hey, here, here's a wild one. Uh, what if we really cracked the nut on longevity and people live to 130? What does that do for life insurance companies? That's why we're pivoting to wellness. Yeah. Like it's, it's a big hot mess, right? I mean, you gotta, you gotta really think about what, what happens when, you know, it, it changes, it changes the dynamic. Right. Um, and, uh, in particular, if there's fewer policy, potential policy holders and they're living longer lives and it, uh, it gets a, a, a little more complex changes, changes the government's tax scheme as well. You know, a lot of governments are funded yes. off of estate taxes. And if, if there's fewer people dying further, you know, dying less often, then you have a, you have another, you have a revenue problem because they're also pulling down social services and there's riots in the streets in France. Every time they talk about changing the retirement age by a year, I'm like, by a year, y'all need to change it by like 10 years. I mean, <laughs> France right. is in, France is an insolvent a decade from now with their, well, they're, they're insolvent right now, but they, yeah. they're really insolvent a decade from now with their pension plan, unless they institute dramatic reforms. They have no interest in instituting as a, as a population. Greece is not much better, right? I mean, there's, if you, if you so much as whisper a hint at changing the pension system, 
I, th I think it's like fire and riots for like the next yeah. Uh, month, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you also see in countries like China, and that's also from, uh, I think, comes from a tradition um, into taking care of the elderly. But you see cases which completely dumbfounded me of young people taking life insurance on themselves so that if they pass or something happens to them, uh, the insurance can take care of their parents. You say that to somebody in the US and they, they have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. So, but that's that's another, what, you, what you're gonna see. You're gonna see financial instruments um, being reimagined to work for the new needs of the customers. And you're gonna see people hopefully be in good shape to work longer. Yeah. It's a, it's a big, it's a big, it's a big shift. There's a lot of big shifts, uncomfortable ones coming up that we're going to have to deal with at some point. So uh, it's good. It's to... so exciting, James. I mean, that's the other yeah. thing. I mean, the fact in many ways, we in the nineties, we started working in the nineties. Um, we're ahead of our time, right? We all studied the right things. And a lot of this innovation now is based and you said it on innovations done, not just in the eighties and nineties, but innovations that going back to the Bell Labs, right? Um, in the forties, uh, think of the microprocessor, uh, think um, of how the capacity, the memory capacity we have, like the, we're consuming more memory now than, um, than uh, the, the Apollo, right? Um, the oh, Apollo yeah. spaceship yeah. that went back and, you know, uh, to the moon and back. So, um, so a lot of the innovation right now is based on things we've seen and done before. So in many ways, we were ahead of our time. And what a privilege, right, to be sitting here in 2023 and seeing AI and the leaps and bounds and the potential it has. Um, I wish I had a second lifetime to see where this goes. I, I think it's going to be exciting. And I think overall, uh, we're going to overall, despite the pitfalls and the mistakes, and the fear and the letters by people that know better than me, um, cautioning, uh, cautioning. I think, yes, uh, with caution, um, we will be in here for a lot of uh, good things happening. Think of equity between people, medicine, um, uh, health overall, education. Um, there are, there's a lot of good to be done first, um, and we will balance the risk. Awesome. Well, Rob, any closing comments? No, I, I think a great conversation, Nikki. I, I think, you know, a couple of my key takeaways. Number one, like you can improve the customer experience and reduce expenses at the same time. And I think in the past, we've always thought about, well, if I'm cutting expenses, I'm necessarily pulling back right on the quality of my customer service. And I think you can have your cake and, and eat it too with AI, with the way that you, you, you discussed. And then talking about innovation, particularly in developing countries, right, where you don't have the structure of, uh, maybe regulation, we're very product focused regulation rather than customer focused regulation here in the States and in Western Europe and other countries, you don't necessarily have that, you have the ability to shape the regulatory environment, start from scratch rather than have a legacy systems and then, um, you know, really innovate maybe in a way that you're, you're kind of doing reverse iteration, right? You're actually uh, not taking the innovation in the developed world and moving it to the developing world, but, but vice versa. So anyway, a lot of food for thought. Thank you so much for being with us today, Nikki. Thank you. Great. And thanks all you listeners out there in listener land for uh, joining us. It's always good to talk about tech with you. Uh, and thanks for listening in today for this episode of the Insure Tech Geek podcast. We will see you next time. The Insure Tech Geek podcast powered by JB Knowledge, jbknowledge.com. It's all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com with co-host Rob Galbraith at endofinsurance.com. 
Thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, and thank you for joining us today. Look forward to talking with you soon. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out.